In Second Peter chapter 2, the Apostle Peter said, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Damnable heresies, denying the scriptures. The Lord is the word of God. There was a man at the church that I attended many years ago. He was our Bible teacher. And he loved to say, Whom God has joined together, let no man put asunder. But God didn't join some of us together. He loved to make an excuse for divorce. This is contrary to the Bible. This is an example of false teachers who bring in damnable heresies, causing you to go after your own lust when it is a lust for divorce. They came to Jesus once and asked him, why did Moses give a law of divorcement? And Jesus said, Moses gave it because of the hardness of your hearts against your wife. Divorce was never intended by God. At the time of sexual intercourse, the two become one flesh. We know that from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, because Paul says, How is it then? Brethren, that you would take a harlot and become one body with that harlot, making her a part of the body of Christ through sexual intercourse. It is by sexual intercourse that you become one flesh with that person. Therefore, when this teacher spoke these things, he denied the concept of sexual intercourse making the person one flesh. He denied that concept completely. Looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, start at verse 15. The Apostle Paul says, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith God, shall be one flesh. Paul says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. At the time of sexual intercourse, you become one flesh with that person. It has nothing to do with the concept of being married by someone with having marriage papers. You become one flesh at the time of sexual intercourse. So even if you have sexual intercourse with a prostitute, you become one flesh. In Mark 10, the Pharisees came to Jesus, verse 2, 
asking him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And Jesus answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And in the house his disciples ask him again of the same matter. And he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. Let's reread Second Peter chapter 2. Verse 1, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord, the Scriptures, the Word of God, and they will bring swift destruction upon themselves. It turned out that this man, who was our Bible teacher, ended up destroying himself. He began going to the bars and picking up women. I heard a rumor that he had a girlfriend. None of us had ever seen him bring a girlfriend to church. But I went to him and asked him about this girlfriend. And he kind of beat around the bush. And I finally point blank said to him, Are you having sexual intercourse with this woman? And he said, Of course. And I said to him, Oh, you know the Bible as well as I do. I can't have anything to do with you. I can't come to your Bible class. I can't have any fellowship whatsoever to do with you and he said that's right he didn't care now what am I going by I'm going by first Corinthians chapter 5 and what Paul said to do if any man who called himself a brother was committing fornication and some other things too we'll read that first Corinthians chapter 5 Paul said, starting at verse 11, But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such a one know not to eat. He said, Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. You can't 
continue to associate with a person who says he's a Christian when that person is committing fornication. You have to put that person away from you. And he knew that scripture as well as I did. But he didn't care. When I told him, I said, I can't have anything to do with you. He said, that's right. No shame and no caring. Later, I had information that his flesh had been destroyed. I have hope for his spirit, his soul, because of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5. He told the elders of the church concerning a fornicator, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. I believe when we separate ourselves from a person who calls himself a Christian, we deliver him to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. You may not be able to put him out of a church group. You may just have to leave the church group. You may not have the power to put him out of the church group. When Jimmy Swaggart was committing uh, fornication with a prostitute and was caught, he got on television and did a very tearful plea. I have sinned, and tears were rolling down his face. The Assembly of God Church, who ordained Swaggart, said we should pray for Brother Swaggart, and they counseled him. Paul said, put him out of the church. That's the instruction of the Bible. But they ignored the Bible and decided it was more logical to pray for Swaggart and counsel him. Two or three years later, the exact same thing happened again. He was caught with a prostitute. This time he said, The Lord has said to me, It's absolutely none of your business what I do. <laughs> well, we are part of the body of Christ. It's everybody's business what we do. That time, the, the Assembly of God defrocked Swaggart. But he didn't care. He just went on with his multi-million dollar television business. And as far as I know, he's still preaching today. And basically, entertaining the church with country-western music. But what the Bible says to do is when you come across a brother in Christ who is committing certain sins, put him away from you. Don't have anything to do with him. And those sins that are listed here are sins of fornication, covetousness, idolatry, a railer. A railer is one who is debate, argues and debates and is hostile and protests that type of person a drunkard, or an extortioner. A man contacted me recently, and he told me how much he enjoyed one of the books that I had written with 
it's published on Amazon. It's a book called Preparing Yourself for the Return of Jesus. And he has said he was a pastor. And he asked me if I would send him books for his church and the other pastors who worked in the church. And I told him I couldn't do that because Amazon does not give me any books. I don't, I have to buy my own books. So I told him he would have to get them from Amazon. He looked upon me as a way to get things. He started with flattery. It, he might have really enjoyed the book, I don't know. But nevertheless, the hook was flattery. He started off his letter saying his name was Pastor so-and-so. Well, that was a hook for me, too, because I have great respect for the offices of the church, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, whom Jesus gave from heaven for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. I have a great respect for pastors, but when they show themselves to be extortioners, that's another matter. And unfortunately, a great many pastors are extortioners. They wring from the body of Christ money by using scripture when they take up offerings. Scriptures which they can say, God will bless you if you give to me and curse you if you don't give to me. They use especially that scripture concerning 100-fold return. Let me find that verse of scripture for us and we'll read it. I have heard pastors use this verse many times to try to get people to give money. And they will say, if you will give money, you will receive a hundredfold return for the money you give, as if it's some kind of banking program. Well, here's the truth about the matter. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 27, then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Behold, we have forsaken all and have followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me, the word of God, in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, Ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, the word of God's sake, shall receive an hundredfold now in this lifetime, and shall inherit everlasting life. Now, in the Matthew section, it doesn't say now in this lifetime, 
But in one of the other sections of scripture, it says you will receive a hundredfold now in this lifetime if you follow Jesus, the word of God. This especially applies to ministers. But ministers often use this to try to get their congregations to give them money. This is extortion. It is also extortion to take scriptures and to imply that God will curse you if you don't give. Extortion is twisting money out of people. Many ministers are extortioners. This pastor who came to me recently, he said, I need a computer and a projector to be able to teach things to my church. Please pray that God will help me to get those. Well, why doesn't he pray? If you ask anything according to the will of God, your prayer is answered. You don't have to have a hundred people pray for you. Why isn't he praying by faith? That was point number one. But the real truth of the matter is, he was hoping I would give him a computer. And this was revealed a little bit later. This man lives in the Philippines. And very often I've encountered people from Africa and some of the uh, other places where missionaries so freely gave everything to them that they expect churches to give everything to them. They expect people like me to provide their needs. Well, of course, this is very wrong. This man looked to humans to provide his needs rather than God, and he used the subject of prayer as a camouflage to inform me what he needed. Later, he point-blank said to me by, by email, he point-blank asked me if I could send him an old computer that we weren't using. I was very grieved over this. I turned to God and said, what do you want me to do about this man? And I waited until I heard what to say. And what I said to him is this. I see you as a beggar, as a thief, and as an extortioner. And if you go this way and keep going this way, you doom yourself to live the rest of your life as a thief, a beggar, and as an extortioner. And after that, I did what Paul said to do. I sent him an email and said, I will read no more of your emails. I put him away from me. This is an example of taking scripture and trying to use that scripture to get people to give to you. 
In this case, he was using prayer, trying to use a prayer request to show me what he needed, hoping that I would provide what he needed. There are many preachers that will say, if you give, you receive a hundredfold return. Bob Tilton said that all the time at Word of Faith. Eventually, Bob was destroyed. Even his own church member tried to take him to civil court and sue him over this 100-fold return promise. The reason Bob was destroyed, I can tell you exactly why he was destroyed. He had a television show, and he invited a prophet from our church to be on his show. She called me after the show, and she was crying and telling me what Bob had done to her. Before they went on camera, Bob said, Now, Ava, just one thing. Don't mention being a prophet, because it's not popular. I heard from God, because he did this, his house will be destroyed. And that is in Matthew chapter 23. They who kill prophets, their house will be destroyed. I sent a tape recording to Bob, and he did listen to it. And in that tape recording, I said, because you killed a prophet, your house will be left to you desolate. They did a kind of an interesting thing at Word of Faith. I asked one of the secretaries if Bob heard the recording I sent to him. And she said, oh, yes, he heard it. She said he listened to it, and Marty, his wife, heard it. And they all heard it together. And then he tore it out of the recorder and cut the pieces of tape in little pieces and threw them in the wastebasket. And I think she said they claimed a scripture over it to set it aside. I said, well, that doesn't matter. But what does matter is if he heard it. Well, he and Marty divorced shortly thereafter. And Bob married another woman, and they divorced, and she took him to court, and he married a third woman. In the meantime, his church, an 8,000-seat church, was completely destroyed. It was torn down to build a youth hockey stadium in Farmer's Branch, Texas. There is no evidence that I know of that a church ever met at that location. Bob went to Florida and tried to build up another TV ministry, but it wasn't nearly as successful as his first one. He was making $80 million a year in offerings. $80 million, according to ABC Primetime Live, who investigated him. And after they gave their report on national television, his offerings dropped to $2 million a year, which is still an awful lot of money. You can read this story, if you care to do so, on Internet under the name Robert Tilton, under Wikipedia. It's a shame when the church doesn't ju judge the church, but he was absolutely rampant in his solicitation of money. 
using scriptures such as this hundredfold return. But God destroyed him. About four to five years after I told him his house was going to be left desolate because he had killed a prophet. Looking once again at this hundredfold return, it's verse 29. And every one of you that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit it everlasting life has nothing to do with giving offerings at a church. Ministers use this scripture to extort money from the congregation. This is just one of the many ways of extorting money. Another thing they use is, send me your prayer request. Ministers put that on their written materials on their television shows, on their radio shows. People send in their prayer requests. What happens to those prayer requests? There is no way that I could pray for multiple prayer requests. I never ask people to send prayer requests. I ask them to pray. If you pray according to the will of God, you have a promise that your prayer will be answered. I believe that's in 1 John chapter 5. If you pray according to the will of God, you don't need me. You don't need anyone else. And yet ministers use that on their materials to get money because if you send them a prayer request, you're likely to put some money in the envelope. And that's how it's used my own ad agency at one time. I no longer have them. But they recommended that I do that. And when I said, no, I don't want to do that, they said to me, well, you're missing a good bet because when those people send their prayer request, they will usually enclose money. It's Robert Tilton who told me I should have the ad agency, that they could do me a lot of good. I'm quoting Bob. They were his ad agency. They represented Marilyn Hickey, Kenneth Copeland. At that time, they had been representing Jimmy Swaggart and several big-name ministers. But when I couldn't do certain things that they wanted me to do, they called me and said, we have decided that we can't continue to represent all our clients, so we're going to have to let you go. I thought I'd failed, but God gave me a scripture in Matthew chapter 4. It is that temptation where the devil took Jesus up to the high, exceeding the high mountain and showed him all of the treasures of the world and said to him, if you'll worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. When I couldn't obey the ad agency, they stopped representing me. And I knew I'd lost everything because I knew what they could do. I knew they could get very, very big crowds. They said to me once, 
We can fill Soldiers and Sailors Auditorium in Pittsburgh. We can fill it. All you have to do is this. Don't say anything on your radio broadcast that offends anyone. Well, prophets always offend people because people in the church are doing wrong things and prophets come along and speak a message that offends them. The way the ad agency said that they filled the auditoriums for the ministers, they went into town about one week ahead of time and went to the different pastors and got these pastors to agree to recommend that their congregations come to the meeting of this minister so they could make you great. They could make you great, in other words. They could cause thousands of people to come and hear you. And I had lost it all, I thought. But the Holy Spirit took me to Matthew chapter 4 to show me the truth, that I hadn't lost everything. I'd actually passed a test. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. The devil takes Jesus up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me, obey me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. I knew it was evil to put, send me your prayer request on my written materials. I knew it was evil to tell the church, send me your prayer request. So I never did that on my broadcast. I know that ad agency was right. If I had done that, I would have gotten more money. In fact, ABC Primetime Live, in investigating Robert Tilton, found that when people sent their prayer request to his church at Farmer's Branch, Texas. Those letters were forwarded to a bank in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where tellers were assigned to open the letters, throw the prayer request in the garbage, and deposit the money into the Robert Tilton's church account. That's what happened to the prayer request. It's extremely evil. It is extortion. And when a man is an extortioner or a woman, you're not to keep company with that person. Don't go to their meetings. Have nothing to do with them anymore. And that's what I told the Bible teacher at Word of Faith. And he agreed with me. And he didn't care if I came to his meeting. Returning to Second Peter 2. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, 
even denying the Lord the word that brought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words, pretended words, make merchandise of you. They make merchandise of us as they take words that they don't even believe. And they use those words to get money from us. And it works. They get huge amounts of money from their congregations. But God judges them. And when we see extortioners in the church, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 told us, don't keep company with them. Put away from yourselves that wicked person, for it is a form of... Of wickedness. Thank you for allowing me to speak with you today.